Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do great work. And I hope you'll give them a call. Visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll be talking about current global events. Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We will talk about the importance of separation of bank and state. And Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief, will be joining us as well. It is January the 24th, and on this day in 1965, Sir Winston Leonard Spencer Churchill, the British leader who guided Great Britain and the Allies through the crisis of World War II, died in London at the age of 90. He's born at Blenheim Palace, which we visited. It's a very interesting place in 1874. Churchill joined the British Four Hussars, uh, Fourth Hussars upon his father's death in 1895. During the next five years, he enjoyed an illustrious military career serving in India, the Sudan, and South Africa, distinguishing himself several times in battle. In 1899, he resigned his commission to concentrate on his literary and political career and in 1900 was elected to Parliament as a Conservative MP from Oldham. In 1904, he joined the Liberals, serving in a number of important posts before being appointed Britain's first Lord of the Admiralty in 1911, where he worked to bring the British Navy to a readiness for the war that he foresaw. In 1915, in the Second World War of World War I, in the second year of World War I, I should say, uh, Churchill was held responsible for the disastrous Dardanelles and uh, Gallipoli campaigns, and he was excluded from the war coalition government. He resigned and volunteered to command an infantry ba- battalion in France. However, in 1917, he returned to politics as a cabinet member in the liberal government of George uh, Lloyd George. From 1919 to 1921, he was Secretary of State for War, and in 1924 returned to the Conservative Party, where for two years later, He played a leading role in the defeat of General Strike of 1926. Out of office from 29 to 39, Churchill issued unheeded warnings of the threat of Nazi and Japanese aggression. After the outbreak of World War II in Europe, Churchill was called back to his post as First Lord of the Admiralty and eight months later replaced the ineffectual Neville Chamberlain as Prime Minister of a new coalition government. In the first year of his administration, Britain stood alone against Nazi Germany but Churchill promised his country and the world that British people would never surrender. He rallied the British people to resolute uh, resistance and expertly orchestrated Franklin D. Roosevelt and Joseph Stalin into an alliance that crushed the Axis. In July 1945, 10 weeks after Germany's defeat, his conservative government suffered a defeat against Clement Attlee's Labor Party, and Churchill resigned as prime minister. He became leader of the opposition in 1951 and was again elected prime minister. Two years later, he was awarded the Nobel Prize in Literature for his six-volume historical study of World War II and for his political speeches. He was also knighted by Queen Elizabeth II. In 1955, he retired as prime minister but remained in Parliament until 64, the year before his death. What an illustrious and important career. And, of course, it, it's uh, sprinkled with not only tremendous victory, but also failure as well. Good object lesson for life for young people. Winston Churchill. Well, shares across the world fell on Monday as the prospect of a Russian attack on Ukraine quashed uh, demand for riskier assets, bolstering the dollar and booing oil and bruising Bitcoin. The U.S. State Department said on Sunday it was ordering diplomats' families' members to leave Ukraine in one of the clearest signs yet that the American officials are bracing for an aggressive Russian move in the region. U.S. President Joe Biden weighed options for boosting United States military assets in the region to counter a buildup of Russian troops. When the New York Times reporting that Biden was looking at sending 1,000 to 5,000 troops to Eastern Europe. Can you believe it? Does that make any sense at all? 
I don't think so. Our borders are wide open right now, and somehow President Biden is concerned about the border between Ukraine and Russia. Makes no sense. Well, the IRS is still working through millions of tax returns from 2020, and this is all brought on by worker shortages, underfunding, and a new pandemic-related programs like child credit payments. The Biden administration has called it unacceptable. Now, today marks the first day you can officially start filing your 2021 tax returns, and you may want to hop to it. <laughs> Rumor has it in the early bird gets the early refund here for those who like to live life on the edge, you've got until at least April the 18th to get your taxes filed. April the 18th is the day. Well, this is such an interesting story. Cruise ship with 700 passengers and crew members diverted to Bahamas to avoid warrant over 1.2 million unpaid fuel bill. Crystal Symphony uh, skirts docking in Miami where U.S. law enforcement could impound the ship at the end of a 14-day cruise uh, trip. Crystal Symphony on Saturday veered from its course to Miami and steamed for Bimini in the Bahamas. U.S. federal court has issued an arrest warrant for the ship, and it could be impounded at any U.S. port. There are roughly 300 passengers, some sort of say as many as 700, and 400 crew on the ship docked at Bimini. Uh, travel plans have been thrown into total chaos as passengers wa will arrive a day later than expected. Parent company Genting, they're actually ferrying. Uh, passages on separate boats to uh, Fort Lauderdale. The, the parent company, Genting Hong Kong, faces liquidation and has suspended all cruises. Apparently, they could go into liquidation or bankruptcy. But uh, the reason I thought this uh, story is so important is right now, I would imagine many cruise ship lines and cruise lines are in the same position, having had their cruises canceled and uh, deferred by the CDC. It's just awful, some of the things that have happened as a consequence of the very poor guidance from the CDC and others in the, in the uh, government. Well, Steve Kirsch uh, gave a speech yesterday at the Feet the Mandates March, and that was, uh, I think, 20, 30, 40,000 people that showed up for on a very cold day in Washington, D.C. Steve Kirsch is a former high-tech executive from Silicon Valley who left his job in order to devote full-time to fighting the mandates. I want to give you his speech because I think, first of all, it's in plain English in a very difficult topic, but also just very, very important words. Uh, and, of course, uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. was there. So many great speakers yesterday did a great job. Doctors, uh, victims of uh, vaccine problems after taking the vaccine. And here's Steve's comments. He says, I'm not a doctor. I'm worse. I'm an engineer with two degrees from MIT. I look at the data and I make decisions based on what the data says, not on what people tell me to think. After three relatives or friends of mine died right after being vaccinated, I started looking at the data from the clinical trials, from studies and from the government and from doctors, and what the data said was troubling, very troubling. First of all, the entire pandemic was, a com was completely avoidable. Let that sink in. We also had an early treatment protocol in March of 2020 developed by George Farid and Brian Tyson. Nobody dies on their protocol if they get started early, zero, and only a few people got hospitalized. Yet today, the NIH is saying nothing about this protocol. That's ridiculous. If they are going to mandate anything, they should mandate you get this protocol if you should get COVID. But they don't. Instead, doctors can have their licenses revoked if they prescribe early treatment of drugs like ivermectin and, uh, and others. Now, this is absolutely true. I was told by my doctor that he couldn't prescribe ivermectin because he might lose his, have his uh, fees, insurance fees increased, or lose his license. Amazing. We don't need masks. We don't need vaccines, uh, he says, uh, says Kirsch. We don't need mandates, and we don't need lockdowns. We never did, he said. What we need is to do is to start listening to the doctors who have treated thousands of COVID cases with no deaths. Is that too much to ask? But the NAIH refused to listen to these doctors, and instead they focused on the creation of a vaccine, which the evidence shows is making things worse, much worse. COVID cases are at an all-time high. We're being mandated to take a vaccine for a societal benefit without ever being shown the risk-benefit analysis, and there's a reason for that. 
the benefit is negative. According to over 12 studies, the vaccines are killing at least 15 people for every life the vaccines were projected to save. Get, let, take that in. 15 people for everyone it saves, and we are permanently disabling even more. For kids, I've seen a risk-benefit analysis showing we kill over 100 kids to save one kid from COVID. Nobody has the right to mandate that I must risk my life to save other people I don't know. That's unethical and immoral. I would not voluntarily choose to deprive my kids of their father. Nobody has the right to mandate that I take a vaccine which is likely to double my chances of being infected. The data now coming out of the UK and Scotland clearly shows this. And study after study, the more you vaccinate, the more people you're likely to be infected. Precisely the opposite of what we were told. This is why Boris Johnson in the UK recently dropped all COVID restrictions. We will trust the judgment of the English people, he said finally. What can we do uh, now that we're here? People look at the doctors for advice on whether to take the vaccine, but doctors can't speak the truth. If they do, they'll have their license revoked or sp- for spreading misinformation, so they remain silent. This isn't about what's best for patients. This is about silencing trusted professionals through intimidation tactics, and that's wrong, he said. The other thing I, I found particularly troubling was the lack of transparency and accountability. Nobody at the CDC, the FDA, or NIH wanted to answer any of my questions on camera. My member of Congress, uh, uh, she refuses to meet with me or answer any of my questions. Not a single person in Congress who I've supported over the years will answer a single question I have. So I'm offered $1 million to the members of the outside committees of the FDA and CDC if they would meet with me just so I could ask a few questions on camera. They've all refused. I published my questions on Substack. I've read them. It's 100 questions. SteveKirsch.substack.com. I hope that you'll go there and read the list. Ask your school boards, your member of Congress, and your state legislators demand answers, he said. I'd like to share just a few of my questions with you today. If you'd like these questions, you'll like the, uh, the list of questions on my Substack even more. So he lists the questions, and I'm not going to go into them right now because we're running short on time on this segment, but irrespective. Uh, it was a great day yesterday for free speech. It was a great day for people expressing their views on lockda- lockdowns and mandates. Uh, again, twenty to 30,000 people showed up. John Johnson was there, by the way, uh, senator from Wisconsin. Great to have his support on this movement as well. Look, I'm not anti-vaccine. Uh, I'm for free speech and for the Constitution, and clearly our leaders have violated constitutional rights. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of historycentral.com. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Higher Senior Resources at the Golden Gate Senior Center goes a long way towards keeping seniors connected in the community and with each other. Serving all of Collier County, 
The Senior Center provides comprehensive information regarding resources and services that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers, empowering seniors to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Programs are offered free of charge in a safe, welcoming space and focus on fellowship, enrichment and wellness, continuing education, and meeting basic needs through offerings such as daily hot lunch, health screenings, and counseling services. So whether you're looking for referrals to services or a vibrant place to make friends, enjoy community support, or learn something new, Call Your Senior Resources at the Golden Gate Senior Center is your Call Your Senior Center. To learn more about programs and services, please visit callyourseniorresources.org. That's callyourseniorresources.org. Or call the Senior Center directly at 239-252-4534. That's 252-3534. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. That's brought to you in part by Choice Social. It's a new, refreshing social networking platform, and you can download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us, choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now we have with us Mark Schulman. Mark is a commentator, does a lot of TVs over in uh, Tel Aviv right now, a lot of interviews, writes for Newsmax, or I should say uh, Newsweek. And uh, he's also the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website, highly recommended, HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. You know, uh, right now, the what's taken all the air out of the uh, the, the uh, oxygen out of the air right now is what's happening in Ukraine. Apparently, withdrawing, sending as many as five thousand troops. To the border there from uh, from the United States. Love to get your viewpoints no, no, no. and thoughts. Okay, the, the, the fact the United States is not sending any troops to the Ukrainian border. The United States is considering troops sending troops to NATO allies in Eastern Europe, the Baltic states. Very different. Yeah, it is. Um, Thank so you for that clarification. Keep, so keep that in mind. So what has happened is the U.S. State Department has ordered all of the. Um, Dependents, in other words, the families of diplomats in Ukraine to leave. It is also recommended that people not travel to Ukraine and people not travel to Russia. Um, obviously, U.S. intelligence at this point has concluded that Putin is planning to take action. Now, let's understand something. This is a crisis created by one person and one person only, and that's Vladimir Putin. Putin has staged this crisis. He's made a whole group of demands that are that were non-starters. The United States was not going to tell the Baltic states you are no longer members of NATO. It was no longer going to do all the things that Putin Putin wanted, and so Putin has created a crisis of his making. This is all about Putin, and that's all it is. I mean, it's it's much more than that. Obviously, the implications. Um, we do not know what his end game is, and that's why the U.S. Is, the Biden administration is sending troops the Baltics. The fear is that, you know, he looks upon the Baltic states as also part of the former Soviet Union. Remember that this man stated that the greatest tragedy of the 20th century was the breakup of the Soviet Union. And he's trying to make good on undoing that as much as he can. Uh, he wants to subjugate the peoples of all these countries. He wants to bring back a dictatorship that exists in Russia today. Russia today is a clear dictatorship. Uh, the number of people who have fallen out of windows in the last few months who have just happened to have been critics of Vladimir Putin is quite outstanding. Yeah. I, so, I find a certain irony, though, that we're uh, anxious to support uh, the uh, the border between uh, Ukraine and the Soviet Union, and yet we've got a couple of million people coming through our border uh, w without I any kind of opposition to... whatsoever. To me, no, it's... No, no, that's... That you're, that you're changing the subject of no value whatsoever. The fact that the United States has had a border crisis from South America for 20 years is a fact. Um, the fact that people want to immigrate to the United States is a fact. The fact that in the last two years of the um, Trump administration, legal immigration was cut by 90%. So 
there's no legal immigration. You've got to wonder how people are going to get here. And the fact the United States needs immigrants is something else. But I don't want to discuss immigration. I mean, we can discuss it. That's yeah. fine. But that, that has nothing to do – we're not going to defend the borders of Ukraine, to be honest with you, because it's quite clear that, first of all, Ukraine is not a member of NATO. And uh, no one in the United States, whether Republicans or Democrats, wants to go to war with Putin over Ukraine. We're willing to sanction him. We're willing to do whatever we can. But no one is going to send American troops there. However, we will go to war with Putin over the Baltic states because we belong to NATO. Mm-hmm. And NATO's, NATO has only once gone to war, and that was for us in Afghanistan. We were attacked by the Taliban, and NATO joined in the attacks on Afghan, in Afghanistan. But we have a defense treaty that basically says if one nation is attacked, then it's as if all nations are attacked. And unless we respond to that, of course, then the word and the signature of the United States becomes a useless piece of, you know, it becomes useless. Not to mention the fact that, um, you know, on one hand, we look upon Russia and say, oh, you know, they're not serious. And the reality is economically, they have a GDP of that of Italy. Um, However, they have oil and they have gas and they have uranium and they have all sorts of other things. And nuclear weapons. And nuclear weapons. Yes, they do. But a lot of people have nuclear weapons these days. China, Pakistan, India, we can go through the list. Um, But yes, it's a dangerous situation. There's no question about it. But again, it's a dangerous situation created by one man. Yeah. However, uh, you you pointed out that uh, we we made a comment or we made a commitment to NATO years ago. Hasn't NATO just outlived its usefulness? No, absolutely not. Now we can see how much it is, how much it's useful. I mean, why would it be outlived its usefulness? I mean, you could have said 10, 15 years ago when Russia had become more of a, more of a democracy and was no longer a threat, you could say that NATO would outlive its usefulness. But right now, it's very, very useful. I mean, right now we have a Russia that is very similar to the Soviet Union in terms of its expansionism. It's not communist. It's klepto, it's kleptoist, however you want to call it, you know, kleptocapitalist, yeah. how, however you want to define it. But that's irrelevant. It's an expansionist power that is trying to take other people's lands by force. So NATO is essential at this point, just the mm. opposite. Interesting. To say that NATO is, you know, you, you, the argument could have been made 20 years ago, right, when the Soviet Union fell and and uh, it was looking like the Russia was going to become a democracy, that NATO at that point became uh, unnecessary. But look what happened. Yeah. Russia has returned to its expansionist things, and the only thing standing between uh, Russia taking over uh, Ethiopia, Lithuania, excuse me, um, taking over Lithuania, Latvia, and uh, the other Baltic states is NATO. So let's, uh, we're noticing also increased activity over Taiwan by China, and of course we've got the Olympics coming up. I wonder if we could tie that into this storyline. Look, it's it's tied into the fact that if the United States is not strong in terms of Ukraine, then that will give. Uh, the Chinese, the idea that they can do something vis-a-vis Taiwan. They're all, they are related. They're related to the U.S. standing up and um, standing up to its commitment, standing up to the fact that it will stand strong, um, not be weakened by the, in, the fights that are going on in the United States, not be weakened by ch- changing subject matters. The fact of the matter is we have two expansionist powers, very different, mind you. China is a strong powerhouse economically. Um, but it's not clear, other than Taiwan, whether China has any real um, ambitions in terms of taking over territory. Hmm. It wants to be a great power. Russia clearly has ambitions on everything that was once part of the Soviet Union. Hmm. And these people do not want to become part of the greater Russian Empire at all. Um, and, of course, in both cases, you have a situation where both the Taiwanese people who 20, 30 years ago, when it looked like China was moving towards more towards a democracy, a capitalist democracy. They weren't necessarily opposed to the idea of becoming once again part of China, except China went the other direction, right. has become very much a dictatorship. Look what's happened now in, in Hong Kong. Now that they've taken over Hong Kong, they've removed almost all the rights that Hong Kong used to have. All the free press is no longer a free press. Um, so the Taiwanese are saying, wait a second, if this what it, this what it means to become part of China, we're not interested in any which way. We will fight. Yeah, and and and, and uh, the uh, Chinese have built up their military substantially. I mean, the, my understanding is that their military is actually in a better condition than ours right now. 
It could be. Look, I think we have a, we have an inherent problem. We spend more, obviously, on our military than the Chinese do, but of course, we also pay our soldiers many times what the Chinese do, and um, no doubt we pay Lockheed uh, Martin and Boeing many times what the Chinese pay their arms manufacturers. Right. I fear that um, what's been allowed to happen over the last 30 years, where we've allowed all these defense contractors to merge into each other so that today we only have two companies making planes in the United States. We have Boeing and we have Lockheed Martin. Um, and we have, you know, they've basically taken over almost all the, the smaller defense manuf- defense contractors. Is We've created a humongous bureaucracy that's not very efficient. Look, look at the difference between Boeing these days and SpaceX. Right. Boeing has not been managed to... to to bring a, um, a capsule that could take astronauts into space yet. They've tried a number of times and failed. And um, SpaceX is doing it as a regular thing at this point. Right. You know, we don't. So small and limber, I mean, SpaceX is not that small anymore, but it's a small, limber private company, or, you know, it's public, but, but it's not Boeing. Yeah. President Eisenhower's uh, words were prescient uh, back in the day when he talked about the military-industrial complex. We're seeing it right now. Wow, and we also have the the. Uh, uh, yeah, we have we have a different problem to some. I mean, I don't disagree with that, but we have a different problem. I guess that has to do with a lot of things that we allowed mergers and acquisitions in the United States to get bigger and bigger and bigger, and that be, you know the same way that we worry about government being a bureaucracy. Guess what? Big companies are also bureaucracies. Right. They are and, indeed, and, and and they're not limber. No. And right now, in terms of defense, look, both it's it looks like both Russia, China, possibly even North Korea, have developed hypersonic missiles. We haven't succeeded yet in doing that. Right. No one's setting up the alarm bells about that, and I think that's a very serious. It's a very serious matter in and of itself, and it's a warning of what's happening in terms of U.S. technology, weapons technology. I don't mean overall, obviously. Right. Because we still out, we, we you know in terms of artificial intelligence and all those things were still way ahead of them. But this is, these are real problems, and I think um, no one is no one is calling the alarms as much as they need to at this point. I would agree with that. So, Mark, let's let's move to the other uh, world crisis that we have right now, or the what the world is dealing with, which is Omicron and the and the virus. Uh, how are things going in Israel right now? Right now, we're at the the highest peak. We have the highest number of cases per day. Um, Still, um, I think we're at 80,000 a day, and keep in mind we have a population of nine million. Um, we're reasonably high, highly vaccinated, although not as highly vaccinated as we once were percentage-wise. Um, we have, relatively speaking, not all that many um, people who are seriously ill. In other words, percentage-wise, compared either to an earlier wave or pre-vaccine wave, um, the number of people who are ending up being um, hospitalized is relatively small. The problem, of course, is when you're playing with big numbers, even a small percentage brings a large number of people to the hospital, obviously. Yeah. And, and that's what the world is seeing, the United States is seeing, everybody is seeing that, is the fact that the Omicron is clearly not as virulent as the previous, previous waves or previous variants. Um, those people who are vaccinated seem to, while they have a, le- a lower chance of getting the virus, they have a much, much lower chance of being hospitalized. However, when you're dealing with such high numbers, you end up with high numbers of hospitalizations and high numbers and high numbers of deaths also, unfortunately. You know, I, I read I that uh, the professor, you perhaps uh, heard of Cyril Cohen, head of immunology at Bar Elon University. And uh, he had uh, said uh, in Israel, he said that the vaccine passport concept is no longer relevant, that he and his colleagues were surprised and disappointed that vaccines did not prevent transmission as they originally hoped. And the biggest mistake of the pandemic in Israel was closing schools and education. And, uh, you know, he went on to basically say that we should open up Israel. Omicron has accelerated the pandemic into the endemic phase. Well, first of all, Israel is fully open. That's number one. People don't – that's part of – that's the reason why the the transmission is so high. There is absolutely no restriction. There still is uh, this issue of vaccine passports, but they're – they're not used in in reality. Mm -hmm. And the reason why they're no longer valid or makes any sense at this point is because Omicron – does manage to break through. And Omicron is only, the vaccines only seem to be 20 to 30 percent successful in terms of 
stopping infection while still being extremely effective when it comes to, um, to hospitalization. So at this point, it doesn't do any good to have a, a green pass, which is what it's called in Israel, because if, you can vex, if anyone can transmit it, it doesn't make any difference at this point. And Israel is fully up, open. However, um, the reality is, um, you know, it has a really high infection rate right now because no one is taking any significant precautions. Yeah. Um, and so, so that's what happens when you don't take precautions, and you end up with a certain small percentage of people who are very sick. Look, the World Health Organization, head of WHO, has said he believes, and it's only he believes, that after Omicron passes, we we may be through with uh, COVID in terms of a, a pandemic. It'll be something that may return the same way the flu does. Yeah. However, he cautions and everyone else cautions that this virus has managed to provide us with surprises time and time again. So we, we can't ignore it. We can't say it's, it's gone. Um, the only thing we can say at this point is that right now this current variant is extremely, extremely transmittable. And so uh, people, if they don't want to get it, needs to re- need to really take precautions. They need to wear what's called the N95 masks that um, that as opposed to uh, the surgical masks that stop you from transmitting it to someone else, the N95 um, filters enough that you won't get it either if you're in a room, let's say, with somebody yeah. who, who has it. So, Mark, uh, you, again, you, may, you may be aware that uh, we had the Stop the Mandates uh, meeting, uh, we'll call it a rally, in uh, Washington, D.C. yesterday on the uh, Was- near the uh, Washington Monument. And uh, a lot of uh, doctors and people who had had adverse effects from uh, the vaccine and so forth were, were speaking at the event. It was really kind of remarkable. Bobby Kennedy Jr. was there. and uh, What Bobby Kennedy said was the most disgusting thing I've ever heard anyone say. He stated at this, at this rally, the vaccine mandates are worse than the Holocaust because in the Holocaust you could hide it in, the, in a um, – in an attic like uh, like uh, Anne Frank Anne did, Frank. you can't hide from the vaccine mandates. I mean, really? I mean, really, you're going to compare? I mean, look, there's you're really going to compare the vaccine mandates to the Holocaust? And you're going to keep on doing that? I mean, you can you can question plus or minus whether the vaccines are effective. Yeah, that's a reasonable question. You can't. First of all, the reality is it doesn't kill people. Any of the stories are only incidental. There are no real statistics of people dying from 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 getting the the vaccine. And to compare getting the vaccine to the Holocaust, I mean, really, this is the sort of terminology we want to use to talk about something serious like vaccines and the issues, issues of science. Yeah, I'm sorry, you, I, I lose any respect for someone who tries tries to make compare the two issues. Um, after all, when everything is said and done, the Omicron will be gone, and hopefully COVID will be gone, and whatever percentage of Americans decide to be vaccinated or not be vaccinated, um, that will be over. By the way, keep in mind that in most cases, the vaccine mandate, the alternative is to get tested. Yeah. It's not to, it, it, that's what you have to do. If you, don't get, if you don't get vaccinated, you have to get tested. Okay, well, get tested. What's the big deal? Yeah. So, uh, but okay. So, but so my whole point being, you can't, you know, it's not even apples and oranges. You're talking about different worlds altogether, and it's time to to, to tap down the rhetoric. For well, well, okay. So that that's one point that was made, and I I did hear him say that. Uh, the point is, though, there were many doctors, uh, and and MIT guy uh, Steve Kirsch, with a couple of engineering degrees from uh, MIT. Point being, a lot of the doctors spoke. And it basically, uh, what struck me is just how much uh, people are being censored and not allowed to have a debate about this very important topic. I don't know about being censored. I mean, look, there is an over, there is overwhelming uh, belief in the accepted scientific community. When I say accepted scientific community, I'm talking about people who publish papers, who get peer-reviewed, um, who this is their area of expertise as opposed to an engineer, let's say, whose expertise is not, is not that. Um, there is overwhelming acceptance of the fact that the vaccines are safe, um, leaving aside their effectiveness for the moment. Uh, but there is also overwhelming evidence by all statistical accounts that being vaccinated decreases your chance of getting severely ill. That is, you can look at all the statistics. All that is true. 
you want to debate whether people should have to have the vaccine or not, that's a reasonable debate. Yeah. If you want to debate those things, those are reasonable debates. You want to even debate mandates, it's also, it's also reasonable because mandates are, are semi-political, after all. Right. That's a political decision to have a mandate. <clears throat> But not the absolute facts. There, you know, the scientific facts. Look, facts change sometimes in terms of science. As we know, science evolves. Well, here's um, here's science. a fact that, that uh, this is uh, there's no there's a correlation here to uh, well, I should say that the uh, people between the ages of 18 and 64, 40 percent increase in deaths. We can't be tied necessarily to the uh, vaccine, but nevertheless, it certainly is evidence that should be considered. What's going on? What's going on is the fact they're dying from from COVID. I mean, the excess death. Look, look at the excess deaths in the United States over the last uh, two and a half years, and you can look before the vaccine and after the vaccine. The numbers of deaths of per hundred thousand have gone down a little bit, but the excess deaths in the United States are, are very, very real. Um, now, there's no question that that the whole whole thing that's taken place, the pandemic and the uncertainty and the depression it's caused has created, you know, has affected people, generally speaking, there's no question. People are more angry, doesn't make them what about what they're angry, but generally speaking, people have less patience, people are easier to to be depressed, people mm-hmm. commit suicide, all the, all the things that take place mm-hmm. because all over the world, because it's nothing to do with the vaccine, that's to the fact that this has been a terrible two years, however you want to look at it, you know, I mean, whatever people were expecting, I mean, and there are a few exceptions, obviously, if you own, own certain very good stock or whatever else, but generally speaking, all of our expectations of the last two years, you know, going back three, four years ago, none of us expected to live through a, a pandemic these last couple of years. That's true. And it's affected all of us. And, you know, how we live, we don't, tra- you know, how we travel, you, you know, go all the different things we do or don't do. Yeah. Whether we have must- kids in school, the worries that we have. You know, it's a whole big. It's, it's really affected all of us, and guess what? We're all a little bit depressed. Exactly, Mark. You know, what? I, I, I really appreciate you. your point of view. Certainly, our listeners now have had an opportunity to hear a couple of points of view about uh, what's going on right now, and yours is so valuable. Again, Mark. I wish again, wish we had more time. But Mark Schumann, the founder and publisher of a very robust multimedia website, good for kids of all ages, including you and I. It's called HistoryCentral.com. I hope you'll check it out. Mark, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a good week, Bobby, and your listeners. You as well. Thank you, Mark. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000-square-foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, 
and about the season's exciting productions, visit GulfShorePlayhouse.org. That's GulfShorePlayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse. Not only building a beautiful performing arts center in downtown Naples, but bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. Great play going on right now, and I hope you'll check it out at the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now we have with us Larry Reed. He is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, Larry. Tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education. Okay. Uh, well, through our website and through in-person engagements, through online videos and courses, uh, FEE, the Foundation for Economic Education, inspires young people in ideas of individual liberty, private property, free enterprise, and personal character. We're headquartered in Atlanta, Georgia, but our work takes us all over the country and occasionally abroad. Absolutely. Fee.org is the website. F-E-E.org. And if there's a young person in your life, age, college, or high school age, I highly recommend you introduce them to this terrific organization. Uh, nothing more exciting than to see young people excited about freedom and liberty. It's, it's pretty, really impressive. Larry, you wrote just a great piece on why the separation of bank and state is so important. Don't hear this talked about so much. Maybe you can tell us about it. Okay. Well, we certainly do hear people talk about separation of church and state. Yes. But I wish there was more discussion of the merits of separating bank and state or banking and state, because uh, historically what we find is that the more closely associated government is with the banking system, the more it turns the banking system into a, a tool to accommodate its deficit spending and also to uh, uh, print uh, money that uh, uh, pays the government's bills but uh, imposes uh, terrible costs of price inflation on the rest of us. And a very good example of uh, a bank that was separate from the state that governed its territory is the Bank of St. George, which has largely been forgotten in history, but for about 400 years in Genoa, Italy, the Bank of St. George was effectively a, a bank with, or, or a state within a state, a separate republic, and uh, one of the soundest banks in world history. So interesting. And what made it such, such an effective institution, and what characterizes it as something special compared to what we see today? Well, the uh, early founders of the Bank of St. George, in fact, before it was formerly known by that name, it was a loose confederation of lenders and other people involved in finance headquartered uh, in Genoa, Italy. And they just built, excuse me, built up a reputation as uh, honest lenders. And uh, they even bailed out the state in 1371 when it spent itself into uh, financial straits. And that uh, encouraged a lot of people in Genoa to say, hey, you know, uh, those people got it right, and uh, and so in 1407, when the bank was formed uh, under the name Bank of St. George, um, there was a provision in its constitution that effectively guaranteed complete separation from the government of Genoa, and the government of Genoa, partly in gratitude for uh, the bank having saved it a few years before, um, uh, granted that separation and recognized it as uh, virtually an independent state. You know, you highlight uh, an individual there. What is his name? I've forgotten now. But Francisco Vivaldi. Uh, yes. Uh, as a, he really, kind of, of course, anytime that you have something wonderful going on, there's usually some leadership behind it. Maybe you can tell us about that. Yeah, this was in 1371 when the uh, the government of Genoa uh, had fallen on hard times. It was deep in debt. Its taxes were crushing. And uh, a man named Francesco Vivaldi came forward. He was uh, associated with that confederation of bankers that would later become known as the Bank of St. George. And uh, he saved the country. He came forth and he said, look, I've got shares in this uh, 
banking arrangement that are worth quite a lot of money, and I will simply donate those shares hmm. uh, to the uh, Genoa Treasury, and that saved the state and also set the stage for 30 years later when the uh, the bank was constituted as the Bank of St. George and was given so much uh, political and economic autonomy. So uh, prof- uh, maybe, Larry, you could uh, help us understand what are some of the things that you see right now in our current banking system that you'd like to see? What would create that greater separation that you'd like to see? Well, uh, you know, I'm not an advocate of the uh, Federal Reserve. I think it's an engine of inflation that was created in the first place to accommodate uh, the massive growth of government and its deficit spending. Right. And um, over the years, we've even piled on to it other responsibilities, and one of those was to iron out the business cycle. But we now know that within the history of the Federal Reserve, we've had a Great Depression and eight or nine recessions, all of which uh, were largely caused by the erratic monetary policy of the Federal Reserve. In fact, they're setting us up for another uh, crash right now by – Uh, years of easy money and artificially low interest rates, pumping up the money supply by some 35% in the last two years. We're seeing the price inflation in markets already as a result of that. And, you know, when you see that, you know that it's just a matter of time before there's a day of reckoning, before the Fed reverses itself, raises interest rates, and uh, crushes the economy in another painful recession. Yeah. Well, you know, basically, my p- opinion is that the market should determine interest rates, certainly not the Fed. And the Fed is starting to monkey around with those rates right now. And, of course, what are we seeing? We're seeing uh, financial markets, markets uh, begin to implode. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the one of the most interesting things about the Bank of St. George in Genoa is that for 400 years, they would not issue paper money beyond the uh, uh, storehouse of gold coin that they had in their possession. In other words, they didn't engage in uh, paper inflation and credit expansion. They could only lend what they had on deposit uh, in the form of real money, gold, and uh, the subsidiary uh, metal, silver. So, uh, And they also recommended uh, to the rest of Europe Uh, and Europe adopted, that uh, those countries engage in an international gold standard as a system of payments. So we owe an awful lot to the old Bank of St. George. It's a shame we've forgotten about it. Uh, Europe should look back to the Bank of St. George as a great model of sound banking that put uh, the whole European continent on firm financial ground with the introduction of a gold standard. So interesting. Again, why the separation of bank and state is so important, you'll find it at fee.org, F-E-E.org. Larry, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of a couple of great murder mysteries, Follow the Leader, and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree, that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. School Choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America and is now supported by three out of four voters. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit, 
was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior schools of choice. Optima's goal is the successful launch of Hillsdale College, classical academies, and other schools of excellence serving kindergarten through 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. A terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy opened this fall in a classical virtual school. Optima Classical Academy will open in 2022. Find out more by visiting OptimaEd.org. Help children in Florida optimize their education opportunities. Visit www.optimaed.org. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on their board, and I hope you'll check out the website. Anyway, for example, they create policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative. The website is thefga.org. We have this Jim McTagg, as I mentioned before the break. He's former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He retired, and he's written a couple of great murder mysteries. Follow the leader in its sequel, Shake the Money Tree. Jim, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. It's wonderful to uh, talk to you, Bob. Thank you, Jim. So I wanted to get your thoughts. Right now we've got uh, uh, the United States on the brink, uh, prepared to send uh, military 5,000 uh, forces to, uh, to, I guess, to support NATO. Uh, got in high inflation. You've got a number of things going on. The president gave a speech this past week about um, what a great job he's doing. Just want to get your thoughts on what's going on. Yeah, it's um, there's a new uh, NBC poll out that shows that the Republic, the Democrats have a one uh, percent advantage right now in the midterm elections, forty-seven percent to forty-six percent to the Republicans. It's a bogus poll. Um, <laughs> you know, other other polls show show that the um, it's a starker difference. The Republicans have a big advantage because of uh, Biden's blunders. And Newsweek has an interesting story: Senator Bernie Sanders, the brain trust of the Democratic Party, hmm. is warning that the party faces a wipeout in 2022 unless they do something big that improves the lives. Of Americans, and, and I'm thinking, you know, not you know, Biden's people who actually run the White House should really jettison uh, Bernie Sanders because doing something big is at, at one of the root causes of his current pop- unpopularity. And I'm looking back to uh, March 2021, which mm-hmm. is ancient history in, in, in news cycle terms, when uh, you know, Biden got the Congress to go along with his 1.9 trillion uh, coronavirus bill, and at the time that was passed, inflation was running at 2.6 percent. By July 2021, it was 5 percent. Yeah, he, a gigantic. And then by December 2021, it was the headline grabbing 7 percent. So, so much for for acting big and spending uh, lots of money, because now uh, one of the reasons behind Biden's growing unpopularity is the unaffordability of uh, basics like foodstuffs and fuel. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the average American is really hurting because of that. Yeah. Uh, the other thing. The other thing I'm looking at, you, you know, Biden's popularity also plunged. After the um, disastrous evacuation of uh, Afghanistan, uh, when, when the uh, Taliban came roaring in, and so today's headlines are that the United States is urging Americans in Ukraine to evacuate, and they're going to evacuate the U.S. embassy. So I, you know, my eyes are fixed on that to see if he can actually, if the Biden administration can actually handle this with any degree of competence. And I'm wondering if uh, Putin uh, will cooperate and hold off, because if I was the Russian and I was going to invade uh, the Ukraine, what a better opportunity to weaken the president than to sweep in now, uh, you know, and leave all those American citizens stranded. 
And, and, and by the way, uh, I haven't seen any news reports on how many Americans are actually in the Ukraine, uh, how many are in the embassy. Uh, I haven't seen many reports from on the ground in the Ukraine, so it's, 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 it's mysterious. But I'm, I'm keeping the, the paying close attention again because of the disaster we saw in Afghanistan. And, and then a third headline, uh, there were leaks uh, to the New York Times following uh, weekend meetings in Camp David with Biden and uh, military advisors that the U.S. is now ready to commit up to 50,000 troops to uh, NATO allies in Eastern Europe, wow. like, like, like Poland. And uh, Biden a few days earlier uh, was waffling on any U.S. commitment of troops. So that tells me that, that Biden, this is clear evidence that Biden isn't running the show. He really doesn't know what he's talking about. And that after he, 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 he utters a disastrous statement, his um, staff circles the wagons and, and has to go on a major course correction. This has become routine for the Biden White House. The president says something embarrassing or, or, or damaging to the country, and then there's a course correction. So when you raise the question about whether he is um, intellectually competent to be holding that higher office, I, that is a serious concern. It's not nasty politics. Right. It, it's, it, it's a, it, you know, it's a, it's a bona fide question, and I think the answer is no. Yeah. That, so just take take a step back, Jim. I'm th thinking we're talking about getting people out of the Ukraine, getting uh, our uh, ambassadors and uh, diplomats out of the Ukraine. What about the people that are still in Afghanistan? I understand we still have thousands of people that are r related to the United States, either as citizens or uh, people who support the United States, in Afghanistan, and we're doing nothing about that right now. It's just lost any kind of uh, traction in the news cycle right now, which is really a shame. And I do want to make a comment about Bernie Sanders. I mean, here's a guy that didn't have any kind of job. He actually got his electricity turned off, living in a place with a dirt floor. <laughs> No wonder he doesn't believe in capitalism. My point is, I mean, he got married in, in uh, the Soviet Union. Uh, he he w made the comment that this, we don't have bread lines in the United States, and that's a bad thing because people should be able to get bread from the government. This guy, uh, if you follow his advice, we're going to end up as a doomed Marxist society, much like uh, the Soviet Union. Well, to your point, the Democratic Party is ending up as a doomed uh, socialist Soviet uh, political party. So, um, you know, I, I don't know what it takes for people to uh, smell the roses, but I I foresee a, a huge Republican wave in the midterm elections, and that's why I've been urging people to rethink uh, green investing at this time. It's going to be another big bust. We've had these cycles where, you know, it goes back to the Clinton administration where you get the tree huggers in, in office and and they promote green investment. And, and, and now we have trillions invested in that sector. If the Republicans get in, uh, they're not going to derail it, you know, but it's going to cool off. It's going to take a much longer period of time for those investments to reach fruition yeah. because you, you can't shove this stuff down the public's throat. Now, now personally, I, you know, theoretically, I love the idea of an electric car. It's like, wow, you know, who needs mufflers anymore? Or, uh, you know, you never have to change the oil again. I mean, it, it, it sounds great on paper, uh, but in terms of, uh, of convenience, it would be a, a nightmare at this point. So, yeah. so how would you, Jim, how would you like to have been stranded on I-95 for 22 hours in an electric car? Can you imagine all those cars being electric? They'd have no power. There's no way they could move after 22 hours. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be stranded in um, any kind of car because there was no way I could move after 22 hours. No. But the, uh, um, the uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, there's a green en the fix is in for green energy globally, you know, because all the world governments <clears throat> are backing it. And, and it's kind of like, um, OK, uh, fossil guys, uh, you've got a sweet deal and we're taking it from you. you yeah. Know, the rich and the power, you know, the powerful. So 
and 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 the average guy will be forced to go along. So I think, in terms of a green future, it's you know it's in it's in the cards. The fix is in. But but my point being that um, it's going to be a bumpy uh, and long road, and it's before these people. Uh, get their payoff. Well, I certainly uh, hope you're right about that. In fact, I'm hopeful that we'll become energy independent once we get the right people back in elected office. Jim McDay, again, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of a c- couple of great murder mysteries. I hope you check them out. Follow the Leader and Shake the Money Tree by Jim McTagg, M-C, capital T-A-G-U-E. Jim, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got great guests lined up for tomorrow. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.